The Higher Side Chats doesn't start with underwear ads or guilt-tripping donation pleas, nor would I ever commit the cardinal sin of podcasting and interrupt the flow mid-show to show you an unrelated sponsor. But the free first-hour episodes do have to start with a little PSA before we get into it to ever so quickly remind slash inform listeners both old slash new that you're about to get into what I'm sure is a great first hour of a high-level interview, but that means you're missing half the show. If you like what we do around here, get yourself a THC Plus membership and listen to the full two-hour interviews as they were really designed to be and as I know you would enjoy them most. Give a little and actually get a little more in return of the thing you're actually engaging with. Five episodes every month, plus forum access, community comments, downloads to all the closing cover songs, a plus show RSS feed to use with any private RSS feed supported app, and the occasional joint session bonus shows, which include the messages you might leave me about your own theories, experiences, or otherworldly encounters at thehiresidechats.com slash voicemail. If you're not quite sure, if you just want to feel us out, or if you're only here for this particular episode, no worries. New first-time subscribers get a seven-day free trial when you sign up at thehiresidechats.com. Cancel anytime. Try it out, because it's so important to feed the things you want to grow and starve the things that gotta go. And with that said, let's get on with it already, huh? In the 1930s, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed the nation through a series of radio broadcasts known as the Fireside Chats. His aim was to reassure the common man that our society would recover from its troubled times. Well, we're far from 1930, and I deal with a different kind of fire. For a new era of worldly frustration, we offer a fresh conversation. I'm Greg Carlwood, and these are the Higher Side Chats. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, Higher Side Chatters from sunny San Diego. I'm Greg Carlwood, and the more we learn about the world, the more the conventional model breaks down, and one starts to wonder, how could that not be intentional? The largest cutting-edge scientific food companies make the worst quality GMO glyphosate-soaked food. Western medicine is missing a whole host of modalities that have been shown to work, from light and frequency-based healing to intention and psi-based mental medicine. The so-called brightest minds of science say that consciousness is more of a mental trick than the primary driver of all things. Orgone energy and ether have yet to be recognized. And the fundamentals of humanity's place in this system and what it is are better understood by shamans in jungle villages than in the halls of the most prestigious academic institutions or by the directors of billion-dollar labs. Can they really be so wrong on accident? Or would the proper orientation of these things threaten the ironclad grip the capstone cabal has on the Western world and its subjects? Well, it's hard to know for sure, but I certainly have my suspicions, and these themes and more all appear in the impressive work of today's returning guest, Dr. Richard Allen Miller. We talked to him way back in 2016 when I was sufficiently less equipped to wrap my simple stoner mind around significant portions of what that interview got into. But with the gift of time and Doc Ram's latest book, The Non-Local Mind in a Holographic Universe, we're giving it another go. For the unfamiliar, Dr. Richard Allen Miller is a polymath, a solid-state physicist, a metaphysicist, an agriculturalist, herbalist, author, and inventor. A prodigy from an early age, his work has been foundational in scientific and metaphysical developments, and just to rattle off some bullet points of his wild adventure we call life... He built a linear accelerator for a high school science fair project and became the first American to demonstrate particles going faster than the speed of light. 
He was brought into a project to give LSD to geniuses after Timothy Leary convinced his mother it was a good idea. He studied dolphin language at Eli Lilly's lab. He chose the candidates for SEAL Team 1 by finding a way to measure their intuition. He was the real-life character that the X-Files' Fox Mulder was based on. Investigating unexplained phenomenon for Navy SEAL Corp and MRU, which put him in the path of many incredible life experiences, including an encounter with an alien and travel to an underground Antarctic Nazi base. He also conducted ESP experiments with astronaut Edgar Mitchell on the dark side of the moon, and he developed early protocols and trained Navy SEALs in ESP and super soldier techniques, and not so surprisingly, much of the accomplishments and projects in his 50-year body of work remain top secret still today. And what else can I say? Let's get into it with the magician who didn't blow himself up, the ESP-enabled alien encounter-having multifaceted physicist and master of many domains, Dr. Rick Miller. Welcome back to the higher side. Uh, how, do I, how do I respond to all of that? My goodness. <laughs> hey, it's your life. I'm just reading the cliff notes. That? What would you like to talk about? Well, it is just so great to talk to you again. There's so many things that I hope we can fit into this, and surely so many tangents that will be tempting me as we go along, but we're going to try to stay focused on the latest book, The Non-Local Mind in a Holographic Universe. Obviously, that's a title that sums up a lot of deep work into better understanding what reality is and our place in it. You write about structured water, cavitation, the pineal, psi effects, the power of belief, manifestation, astral travel and how reality is structured and how consciousness interfaces with it. How would you start us off? I mean, give us the elevator pitch for this latest book. Yeah. In 1970, well, actually, it was in 1967, I was working for Old Man DuPont back in Wilmington, and I'm walking down the hall, and I look over to the left, and in the laboratory is a three-dimensional color TV. Where is that in our marketplace today? It's missing. That was Gabor. Gabor had taken, he was the one that went to Stockholm in 1972 to get a Nobel Prize on that work, creating a three-dimensional image using a two-dimensional film plate and coherent light interfering with itself in an interference pattern. And when I saw that, in 1972, then, I wrote a holographic concept of reality, which basically took n dimensions of information and collapsed it down into n minus one dimensions, like a fractal. Now, what the problem was with quantum mechanics at that time, using time and space as the forms of measurement, is that when you take an analog system and you digitize it into steps, you create an uncertainty in knowledge of what you know. For example, the more you know about this thing, the less you know about that. And that described what they call the proton cloud and the space between where a proton is a particle and when it becomes a wave. It turns out that that's where the multiverse lies. Hmm. And the holographic system is based on information and resolution of information rather than space and time. Now, it turns out 47 years later that my model, 
the holographic concept of reality needs to be rewritten for a new step in the advancements of science. And that's basically two Russians, Max Rempel and another, quote from my work from 1973 on the embryonic holography, which was an application using biological processes. And I talk about the DNA being a resonant cavity oscillator on its geometry. Yes. And Gary Iov and Popoff in 1991, when that was unclassified, uh, 20 years later, quoted from that work. And Max Rumpel was studying under Gary Iov at that time and today made a breakthrough, a major breakthrough on the proton cloud and came up last year to interview me. And when he did, we were talking, he said, I don't know what to do. Now realize these are biologists. They don't have the level of math that I did. I was a polymath and was doing code for NASA in 1960. That's what brought old man DuPont's focus on me was that there was a Captain Crunch and Michael James Reconosuccio and myself. We were math geniuses that were just, I don't know how to explain it, I see things people don't see. And I've got what's called a dedic memory. It's a little different than photographic. It's like a child. I guess you could liken me as a four-year-old that never became seven. And that's why I do like 14 languages. I can speak Russian and Ruski and Deutschen. I speak a number of languages as a, just because of the math ability. My brain works just a little bit differently. It's not better. It's different. <laughs> like a child. In fact, a child, in my humble opinion, is possibly our single most important natural resource. Mm. And what we're doing now in their educational process is a crime. Right. Because I remember when I was in second grade, they taught Latin. Sum estest. Sum estestestestest. And today, they don't even do shop or home economics or anything like that. Mechanics, mechanical drawing. These were courses that I had when I was in, in high school. And by the time I was going into college, I had differential equations and was able to do logic. But today, the kids are lucky to even get as far as algebra, much less geometry. Right. It is a sad state of things today, for sure. And uh, well, I worry I, about our youth. You but know, let, I, me, I let me step in here just to say, yeah. you know, I, what you were talking about is really interesting. I wanted to dive in a little deeper. This comes from your book. You say, our universe is built on sacred geometry and certain types of patterns set resonance in a way so that one subsystem dialogues with the next system up. Neurotransmitters are resonant cavity oscillators dialoguing with subtle bodies outside the physical body. And that's pretty interesting stuff. It sounds like mental, multidimensional portals in a way. Well, it is. Your brain can be seen or modeled as another gut. And rather than leery in the eight neurologic circuits, the amount of neurotransmitters in the brain is as deep and different for each of us as your gut is, dialogues with the physical body. Now, the brain is kind of turned on by the gut. The gut is what 
turns the brain on, and that brain and the release of neurotransmitters are dialoguing with subtle bodies that are physically outside the physical body. The one that most people might be familiar with is chi. That is a microtubule that has got structured water in it that leaves the body at the moment of death. At the moment of death, there's a five gram weight loss and it's not urine. What is it? And we've proposed that it's structured water because five grams of structured water is enough memory to hold as a metaphor as much as 100,000 lifetimes of memory. Now, I worked under Jerry Pollack at the University of Washington in anesthesiology in 1970. And I was on fourth floor as a physicist working with ketamine, telepathine, which now is called dimethyltryptamine, and BZ gas. And what I discovered in 1974, I moved the Manager Foundation from Topeka, Kansas, using biofeedback systems and started at the University of Washington using video feedback. And the new book out on that, it will be called The Diamond Body, which is basically work with Buckminster Fuller and cymatics and the concept of how light and sound and video affects biological processes. In 1979, I bypassed the use of drugs because drugs are basically toxins, mushrooms. They're not doing placebo and depression like the medical profession is doing now. What they are is they have a chemistry that's very similar to, but different. For example, crabgrass has got a 5-alpha dimethyltryptamine, where the neurotransmitter in the brain is N-comma, N-hyphen-dimethyltryptamine. And what happens is when the brain sees these toxins coming into the body, it overproduces its own lookalike chemistry and a protective action of immune system. And that is what hallucinations are all about. They're not about the drug. They're about the neurotransmitters. And those neurotransmitters are dialoguing with a variety of subtle bodies in what we call the multiverse. And this is the new field theory that I'm writing on how the multiverse works. Basically, if you have today, how many different decisions did you make going this way over that? Thousands. Okay. How many did you do then in a lifetime? Oh, trillions. Then those are where you are in the multiverse having made different turns. And that's what distinguishes you from your daughter and your great-grandfather, because they're all you that had made different decisions and became a different kind of metaphor. And our ability to conceptualize this is such that we think that reality, consciousness, is real, and it's not. There are dream states, like lucid dreaming, that have more content to reality than consciousness. Consciousness, in my modeling system, is basically a shared dream where you and I are sharing 
a basic moment in the multiverse together. From the decisions you made to get to this moment and may, and the multiverse itself are all the other possibilities of what you became by making a different decision. And that is what made you God's favorite choice. I like it. And so getting into your book a little more, your first chapter is called The New Direction of Mind Control, and it's totally up my alley. And you get into how the controllers are using this much better understanding of reality to control the lives and minds of the masses. And you have this paragraph that makes fluoride in the water look like kindergarten stuff because you say, and now enters the weapons company Monsanto again. With these new concepts <laughs> and what constitutes like what the mind. Done. That's what the medical profession is doing right now. Yes. Following what they did with Monsanto and wheat. Well, it goes beyond GMO. Because let me read this paragraph where you say, With these new concepts and what constitutes the mind, Monsanto is attempting to alter a specific gene in wheat. This is not about GMO. That will allow reprogramming of the brain in the gut. T. Gandhi, now known as the little mind benders and other microorganisms are being explored for these purposes. Our foods are being used as a way yeah, to control the masses. Let's, let's get a foundation here. A GMO is not a bad thing or a good thing. It is, yes, all of the above. Basically, when you use Roundup in a field to limit the growth of grass so you can allow a root system to establish the Roundup is broken down to inorganic salts within 10 days. And the only reason it wasn't considered organic is that a rat might have eaten it, died from the toxin, and then a predator, like an eagle, came down and ate the rat. That's the only reason it wasn't considered good. But when you put it in the gene for a wheat grower so that the gene is constantly producing Roundup in the soil. Now, the only thing you can grow in that field is wheat. You can't grow grass or you can't grow another crop right. because it'll kill it. And that's essentially what, in metaphor, what has happened with the new virus, the coronavirus, is that the jab, the, the Pfizer and others have put this into your genetics as and made a new kind of human being, a GMO. Now, sometimes we use GMOs to increase a certain kind of chemistry in a pharmaceutical mushroom, like cordyceps, so that you grow it in a straight and it's far better than anything you'll find in nature in terms of the polysaccharides that might be in it. But when you put it in a human being and you now have made that human being carrier so that normal human beings and people that have been genetically modified cannot interface with each other because the one is a carrier. Now, that's the way they did population control right out of the gate. And then when you have Modessa and some of the other different pharmaceutical houses putting other goodies in there like Graphene oxide. Graphene oxide turns you into an antenna. If you thought you lost your privacy with cell phones, <laughs> this broadcasts everything into the cloud. When you're horny, 
when you have to pee, when you want to, when you're tired, everything gets broadcast. Graphene oxide in your body basically turns you into an antenna, has nothing to do with your immune system or the genetics of changing your genetics. It's to get information. And each manufacturer is putting different things in it, predicated on what they want to do with it. Pfizer is just taking their concept from what they learned from Monsanto and using it for access and control. Now, I don't know what's really going on. In fact, there's a high likelihood I may never know what's going on because it's almost as if, and I could make a serious argument that it isn't about the New World Order trying to take over. We're being kept in a Petri dish. And what they're doing is dumbing us down again because basically they want us to mine gold for their Dyson sphere. It's a metaphor, conceptual. And basically, I feel like I'm David Copperfield with an empty bowl saying to God, I'm still hungry. I want something more than the physical plane, please. <laughs> right. And in terms of the Petri dish, I've heard you say that it seems as if they're manufacturing a new type of human being with this global shot campaign. Well, dumbing them down so that we don't have the concepts of choice that we did. You realize that by choice, you can look at space because physics isn't real. Physics will get you close. Like Simon says, you can go halfway to the door, but it won't get you there because you start with an assumed truth and the limitation of our, your ability to conceptualize. If space is shortest distance between two points of a straight line, the Earth's round. But if space is curved from gravity and other kinds of phenomena, now I can prove that it's flat. Which one is it? <laughs> yes. And the correct answer is yes. If you look at it as flat, you have these doors you can go through. And if you look at it as round, now you can go through those doors. Which ones are better? It doesn't matter. You have choice. And that is what made us God's favorite, is the ability to do almost anything you could possibly imagine. And why? Chapter 8 in my book is The Mind's Eye, where imagination is reality. And this is basically consciousness isn't real. You're asleep. I mean, you know, they talk about the matrix and being in the matrix. What that metaphorically means is if time isn't real, what is an epoch? And quote, we've been here before, like Vermana and spaceflight. You know, I, I can say that man gets up to a certain level of achievement and wants to evolve. And somehow we're knocked back down to zero again, like a Neanderthal versus a Cro-Magnon. <laughs> That's exactly what is happening right now between a human and a GMO. Cro-Magnon versus Neanderthal. And we don't have a clue what's really going on. And probably can't get there from here. Right. And on our phone call last week, you said that space isn't real and we can't go to Mars physically, but when certain planets align, we do get a Carrington effect. Yeah, that's the second book, a third book in the Diamond Body series that I'm writing. 
on the work I did in 1984. 1979 was electromagic, where I'd bypass drugs, create the same high and release of those neurotransmitters using German Mora and Indomet, a German acupuncture equipment on the forehead. Using pulse currents, I broke a code and could talk directly to the neurotransmitter and create the same high that you get taking LSD or BZ gas, whatever. In 1983, just before I left the military, I did a project called the Mars Project. And if you want to Google that, do the Mars Project and look up combining that with Wernicke's correction, which is a part of the brain near the reticular activating center. And basically, that system is you create your own wormhole by using sacred geometry specific set up resonance for the release of specific neurotransmitters using your mind's eye. Mm -hmm. So what is Mars like having been there? Well, physically, it has more water as a smaller planet than Earth does. Huh. It's more water physically. Volume-wise, there's more water on Mars than there is on Earth. And you have to wonder what the asteroid belt was. Absolutely. Because every single human being, when hypnotized and brought back into down into that part of the brain, the Wernicke's correction, which is to have to do with confabulation and the correction of that Wernicke and Wernicke's correction center, that every single person on Earth, no matter what race or genetics you're coming from, from Africa, China, or wherever, everyone has a memory of having worked on the planet Mars. Really? There's things going on that I don't understand, and I'm limited. What made me, why the military used me was that I was a gifted child mathematically and could see things that people didn't notice, variables. Back when I was doing my paranormal studies for the military, MRU, Dr. Carl Schleicher, the smoking man, basically, we knew about aliens back then. But at that time, remember, that was Sputnik and the space race. And we were more concerned about what Russia was doing. As it turned out back then, not today, but back then, Russia wasn't really the one that was evolved. It was Czechoslovakia and the so-called psychic discoveries behind the Iron Curtain. Now, back then, there was a study, Leon Yanev, scientists, had written a book called The Lunar Sex Cycle of the Female. And basically, it was on the field of cosmobiology, where astrology had become astronomy, and then our concept of space moved it into cosmobiology and the geometry of space. And Yanev predicted that when a woman is born, an engram is put into her genetics with the phase angle of the moon, and that when the moon and the sun and Earth are on a certain specific geometric alignment, she ovulates, and that if she moves to a different part of the Earth, that ovulation cycle changes because of the geometry. And that led to what the next direction in our concept of space, which will be cosmobiology. 
the study I did for the military was with the planet Uranus. There are no known laws on how Uranus could in any way possibly affect the Earth. And yet, when Uranus, which is a higher octave in astrology, a higher octave of Earth, when Uranus and the Earth and the Sun are in a specific geometric alignment, there is a three sigma error coefficient, a 99.9975% probability of a major event on Earth, a Carrington-like event on Earth. Even suspicious observer doesn't use that. <laughs> that was what the Parker dive was all about last year, was going into the halo of the sun to direct and measure the possibility of when our next solar minimum is due. Very interesting. And I love that term, cosmobiology. I've heard you talk about the woman's ovulation cycle aspect before. Are there some other effects on an individual person that we yeah, could see there, coming there from are. the larger we, cosmos? We haven't even, yeah, we haven't even begun to start to look at things like that yet in the sciences. And the sciences aren't precise. What they are, it's like one of the two brains in your left and right brain. And what we're really talking about here is a cavitation process, which is chapter seven in the non-local mind. And it's called time travel and the true nature of cavitation. Mark LeClaire is doing his research at MIT right now on that subject. And cavitation is when a drop of water falls and hits a pool of water. What happens is the drop of water goes into the pool just slightly to create the outer waves of moving away from that drop. And then the drop pops back up in as a drop of water goes poip, and up it comes up again. But that's no longer a drop of water. What it is is a cavitation ball that has trapped the medium in which it's fallen. And inside that, they're going into a vortex or torus of into the out of. And it's interesting, the ball itself is formed, if it hit water, would be structured water. There are many different forms of water. And you know, you have para and ortho water, which is levorotary, going this direction or that direction. They have two kinds of water. And then you have the isotopes of deuterium and tritium. And while tritium is not very long-lasting, deuterium is so plentiful, that's where they mine it, in the ocean between Australia and Antarctica. That whole region in there is mostly deuterium. And deuterium is an interesting subject. In another chapter. Sorry to interrupt you, but I'm getting a little bit of background noise from you. Do you have like a, a window open or is somebody moving stuff around? No, what I have is the new place I've lived, I've moved to, I'm less than 20 feet from Rogue River Highway. Oh. I went from a four bedroom home and had to move into luckily finding anything in here on the Rogue River for rent. There's a single bedroom with my head less than 20 feet from Rogue River Highway in my bedroom. Damn, that must be what I'm hearing. I'm, I'm assaulted from all sides, man. And I have no idea why, other than 
I'm trying to leave some footprints before I turn into worm food. I'm 77 now, and I have more than 40 manuscripts I'm writing on the work I did with military. Buckminster Fuller is called the Marshall Papers. Bob Marshall was an idiot savant that came up with the so-called buckyball and what we now call C60 and C120 and the way carbon bonds with itself. When carbon bonds with itself, for example, there is a 1.4 nanometer spread between the one molecule just wide enough to take a single drop of water, single molecule of water inside it. And that's what we call fullerenes. With it's got structured water, now what you have is an antioxidant that will actually bioremediate such things as radiation poisoning, studies that were done in the UK. I don't know if you put deuterium inside that rather than structured water. Now, what you have is a neutron fullerene fusion bomb that was deployed on Building 7, 9-11, using Lockheed's teleportation laser and Carnegie Mellon's trigger mechanism. And when you watch a 1,017-foot steel beam fall in free fall, melting, as it were, that is not jet fuel causing that to happen. There's only one thing in the world that will cause that kind of phenomena, and that's a plasma. And that is what neutron fullerene was deployed in 9-11 as a kind of experiment. While everything else is going on, we might as well get some extra studies in. Right. I was going to ask you about plasma because I've had some guests talk about plasma as if it almost has a form of consciousness, that there might be plasma beans in the upper atmosphere. Is there anything uh, you know about that would validate that? Well, the ionosphere is a shell. Listen, when I was at Mission Control in 1971, the reason they have the precision in countdown, five, four, three, is that they have to push a hole through the ionosphere before they ignite that rocket so the astronaut can get through it. And that entity, ionosphere could possibly have a consciousness like Earth does. The Earth has got mycorrhizae, all these different organisms, kind of like your gut again. And the mycelium, there's a woman up at UBC in forestry that talks about the mycelium. All right, so you dropped out there for a minute and we reestablished the call. But the last thing I heard is you were just going to start talking to us about a woman working in forestry at a university. Okay, yeah. Up at the University of British Columbia, there's a woman in forestry that is now talking about how the mother tree or oldest tree in a forest communicates to the younger trees using mycelium as the nervous system. And in appendishads, they'll talk about the shabbat or lost court that you hear in your right ear. I hear this all the time now because I meditate. I'm a satsangi, I go internal and try to, that's another form of travel. We have astral projection, we have remote viewing, we have soul travel, and then the one I did to go to Mars. There are many different forms of travel. 
is in your mind's eye. So do you think we went to the moon the way they told us we did, or do we use something different? We went to the moon, but not when we said we did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is well documented. Basically, it was about politics and space, you know, trying to get there before the Russians did with Sputnik and so on. I did the studies with Ed Mitchell in 1971. And I can tell you that when Mitchell came back, he was sterile. He's never going to have children again. Wow. You know, astronauts are exposed to some serious elements up there with neutrino and all kinds of cosmic and gamma rays. You know, there is no shielding for that. There is no way any kind of life form could make it to Mars with our current systems in a spaceship. And nothing survives. And so back in 83, the military wanted to figure out other ways of travel. And now we had Lockheed with their teleportation laser, and today with CERN creating a rapid transit system to Fermilabs out of Chicago. That's basically what it's about. So CERN connects to a facility in Chicago and you can travel between them? That's what the experiments for rapid transit, where they move larger objects than Lockheed did with their teleportation laser. Interesting. Is that like a more advanced version of what they used with the Philadelphia Project or Philadelphia Experiment? I don't know about the Philadelphia Project. That was uh, Slyker's project. Dr. Slyker was MRU. He's at the same desk in Wisconsin Avenue for 42 years and had MRU or Mankind Research Unlimited. He was Army, but I was Navy Intelligence and was Northwest Regional Director. I worked with Puharich and Bill Tiller. Basically, I ran projects at China Lake, anything on the West Coast that was paranormal, and they didn't know what was going on. They brought in a team, and I had facilities and equipment available to me. Dr. Wilbur Franklin was Kent State, worked out of Chicago, the University of Chicago, and was Midwest, and then Schleicher did East Coast. And Schleicher did the Philadelphia experiments that you're familiar with, which I'm not as familiar with those because I didn't do those. The ones I did were the West Coast, you know, like Roswell and stuff like that. I can tell you, I've seen artifacts. Yeah, tell us about those artifacts. Okay. Well, and I did a single tour at Groom Lake also, level eight. But the artifact that I gave, they never told me where it came from. They never <laughs> they never give you complete information, even when you're got top secret and vault permits and shit. <laughs> but what we think it came from the Florida Everglades, it was an object with some structure to it. And what I did is I fired a 50 caliber cannon at it and then went, looked down with an electron microscope for a lattice damage. It was 10 times harder than diamond. And it was electrophoretic. That means that when the ordnance hit it, it collapsed into, you know, wrapped around like aluminum foil or something. And then slowly went back into its original shape with memory. And we have such technology now that does that, electrophoresis and what we call fullerenes that are very strong, stronger than diamond. But back then, this was in the early 70s, 
I didn't know anything about any of that. I had just written a book on, I uh, done some studies with Buckminster Fuller on Bob Marshall. Marshall, Marshall, Marshall was a genius. He's out of Fort Bragg. He worked with yellow tablets and could visualize things. Let me give you an example of one chapter. His contribution that you're most familiar with is the so-called buckyball that we now call C60 or C120. But Marshall did one where Riemann, mathematician about 100 years ago, challenged the mathematical community to come up with a mathematical expression for recurring primes. And nobody's ever been able to do that using base 10. The way Marshall did it, he solved it. This is one of the chapters. What he did is he visualized a cone with a certain pitch to it. And then he wrapped numbers, one, two, three, four, five, in a secondary cone wrapped around the first cone going in the opposite direction where the numbers so outlaid themselves that he could draw a straight line through the recurring primes. He did it visually. And I've never seen anything like it. Now, that's genius. He was able to see that and do it. It's like he's like Tesla, where the one thing that we're quite familiar with, the electrostatic field and the relationship of how you set up bandwidths, you know, and frequency bands. Tesla had seven or eight other genius things he did public never heard about. Same thing with Bob Marshall. They hear one thing and it gets an application into the universe and the other eight things they did are relatively never heard of again. Yes, that's very common. And uh, I know another thing on your resume that I was just super fascinated with is that apparently you have been to an Antarctic Nazi base. Yeah, I did a tour in Antarctica. That was not one of my projects. I was hired as the physicist to figure out how the light worked under this anthropologist took a group of us scientists in. We went in through Thule Island and down into this cave that was more than a mile high. My job was to figure out how the light worked. Basically, that's where I came in with the idea of bioluminescence. There was a bacteria that was eating algae on a wall on the surface, and it created light. But the cave itself was more than a mile high, it had weather inside it. And I saw a Nazi base there, it looked like it had 19 slips or subs, and it looked like it had been hit with a nuclear weapon or something because they were all, I mean, it was slagged out. Down further, there was an, an old 14th century Viking base that I don't know where that is in the history books. And then even further was this massive hole that went straight down through the mantle 100 miles. We did not at that time have the technology to go down that hole. And from a physics point of view, it was impossible because when you go that far down into the mantle, we're talking about metal now becoming plastic because of the heat and pressure. And that's what we saw, this big hole. Later, Buzz Aldrin, a friend of mine, told me what freaked him out was that they had figured a way to go down there 
And what they found, what he said they found at is why they evacuated the island was that there were a bunch of Nephilim in stasis. Wow. And I don't know, because I didn't see that. That's what I heard. That was why Antarctica was evacuated, was that there was something else down there. Did he describe what they looked like? Nephilim are giant human beings. The American Indians, when I taught at Shiprock in New Mexico, they have legends. The Hopi and Navajo have legends of giants that were cannibals. Yes. They ate human beings. And they're like giants, 20 feet tall. I did a interview with the BBC about that individual in Pennsylvania that dug a giant skull up in 1820, uh, Nephilim, which the Bible makes reference to. And that was stuck at the, oh, what, what is that? The, the Smithsonian? I, yeah, they had it at, uh, they wanted to know what happened to the skull. It went to the, what was it? The, not the Warburg, it's a, there's a museum up in the northern part of the eastern east coast. Hmm. But it was missing. And they wanted to know, you know, my opinion on what might have happened to the skull. And I suggested that it was right then in 1820 when that Baptist minister lost his flock to the Mormon thing. And he dogged them for, oh, Jesus, maybe 20 years trying to get his flock back. And his two sons ran this museum. And my guess is they were trying to credit their father. And that skull is probably out somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean. I don't know these things. I, you know, you try to guess. I have been down to Colorado. I have seen those caves that have artifacts from Buddha, the Buddhist periods in history, where Cleopatra was looking for copper. She's been here. She was all over the place. Copper was a really important metal used during the Egyptian periods. And today, our copper mines like Anaconda and some of the others are considered even more important than gold. I know that Nick Begich, a personal friend of mine that does the forwards in all of my books, has a copper mine up in the northern part of Alaska, up in the Chickaloon region that's undeveloped but may be the largest copper mine in the world. Wow. You know, I've, I've heard there's a lot of wild stuff deeper underground than we know. I don't know how aware you are of it, but maybe previous rounds of civilization had deeper chasms and mines and caves and underground tunnels than we realize. Yeah. The Midwest, if you get up into the Dakotas, have pyramids up there. Really? Yeah, there's pyramids in North Dakota, South Dakota, and they're smaller, but they're exhibiting anomalies that are... One of the things I did that is an interesting anomaly was the Oregon Vortex. I went over that region with an interferometer and saw light bending at 20,000 feet. And there's only one thing I know of that causes that kind of phenomena, and that's a mini black hole. And so I'm guessing that 
some of the anomalies that we have with the vortexes in different parts of the world, based on ley lines and some of the previous concepts of technology, I'm guessing have to do with anomalies like that. I don't know that, but that's just my guess. I didn't do Florida, but you know, that's interesting. <laughs> you uh, get a mini black hole, that means the Earth's being consumed into oblivion at some point will happen that way. Wow. Man, so another thing on your resume that clearly would fascinate a lot of people is your face-to-face -face encounter with the alien. Well, yeah, I'm not sure what actually happened because I have essentially no memory of what happened. They did almost two weeks of debriefing trying to – that what happened – okay, there's an entity called K-R-I-L, Krill, at level eight, and apparently – the story I got from the secret documents I looked at, she, and I'm going to say it was a she because that's what it felt like, they found at Roswell, or approximately right, like Roswell, there were two dead aliens and a dying alien. When the dying alien died, they did an autopsy, and then a fourth alien appeared in one of the body because apparently they can resurrect them. And I don't know how that works, but then Krill was there during the Eisenhower and Harry Truman period, and she asked for me. I worked out of Seattle. I was at the University of Washington at that time, UW, working in medicine. And um, she wanted to meet me, and so I was deployed for a single tour at Groom Lake. I went down eight levels. There was this huge long table with a bunch of top secret documents on it. I started reading them at random, like a vault permit. I didn't have to have a need to know. I just started grabbing things, reading it, and the door opened. And when the door opened, there was this entity that was maybe seven, seven and a half feet tall, and had a long neck. It was like a tall gray. And I remember hearing her, it felt her, like a her, inside my head. Later, Alan Frey and I tried to figure out how that all worked and came up with synthetic telepathy, which is not what they were doing. Because one of the doors, of all these doors that got closed, it's like over there and I can see the memory, but I can't get to it. I can't remember what happened after this encounter. And we were there for about 20 minutes, no movement. They filmed it. And then they wanted to know what happened. And I couldn't tell them because I don't have any memory. But what I do now get, like one of the doors opened up, you know, back in March or maybe January, somewhere back there, is that they use emotions to communicate. And it's not like our anger and lust, and it's not that kind of emotion. It's something that we don't really get yet like a dog has, an instinctual, emotional feel. And that's the language. They don't use words. It's more like a... Pictures? It's hard to express it. It's, you know, it's 20 minutes of that kind of dialogue could be a, a lifetime of words. So much more is encased in that communication. 
And wow. I can get it, but I can't quite open those doors yet. I don't know why. I don't know. Very, very interesting. And so I'm getting, I am hearing like a lot of uh, background noise, but I guess it sounds like there's a washing machine on or something like that. Like yeah, it's just that's really static. Heater. <laughs> oh, okay. Any chance uh, we could turn that down? I am living in a trailer park with three, it's a tri, it's a, 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 a three apartments connected, not a duplex, but a triplex, and then a bunch of trailers on the Rogue River and bikers and you know, all the rest of them. That kind of an element, and I'm less than 20 feet right now. There goes a motorcycle. Uh, you know, <laughs> it just—it's awful. <laughs> well, you know, you said that people were messing with you. That it was either some kind of agency or an AI or an alien, and it's probably because they don't want you talking about this stuff from your career. True. I, the problem is, I can't put my finger on why, because I'm not doing anything important anymore. I was. But you're talking about this stuff. What's that, sir? You're talking about your life experiences, and they probably just want you to stay retired. Yeah. You know, this is a conspiracy thing. It has nothing to do with science. And now I'm realizing that both science and religion, your two brains, are what make you unique and God's favorite is that concept of choice of being able to look at something this way or that way. And then the different doors that are available to you and realities. And to realize that the multiverse is comprised of all of the different yous making different choices. Mm -hmm. What happens next? And when you realize how many choices you made just in one day and where it took you and where it did not take you, that's when it becomes really an interesting concept and the possibilities of how you might use your imagination for evolution of the consciousness. I like it. And coming back to the book, you have a chapter called The Omega Principle or The Energy Which Patterns Randomness. And you've said that this is a Freemason secret, the thought that occurs at the moment of orgasm. That's their secret. Are we talking about manifestation by concentrating on something we want at the moment of orgasm? Well, that's the emotional thing that I was talking about, that when you have an orgasm, I mean, the level of experience of your emotion at that moment punctuates space and time, and that thought is actually created as a thought form. It's like literal. And the studies I did with Psy Energy, with Ed Mitchell, indicating that if you can't keep your thought long enough, you just repeat the thought over a period of time. That's what rituals are, is the celebration of a myth. And that basically the Greek, I'm writing a new book right now. The one that's coming out next is Pantheon. Well, it's going to be called The Magical and Ritual Use of Metaphor, Archetypal Gods in Daily Living, where you're either complexed or possessed. Possessed means you have only one storyboard going on in you, or you're complex, more than one. Most you and I might have seven or eight primary storyboards going on. Each one has an ending. And if you don't like that ending, you don't like how it ends, like Persephone at the, having to go back into Hades, 
each year. That's like taking drugs every Christmas because you're depressed. Each one of these storyboards has an ending. And like Psyche at the Well of Souls and Persephone and others. And if you don't like that ending, that's what pathworking is about, to change the movie. And there's ritual forms of how you would do that, using the physical plane or Malkuth or Yeside, emotional plane, or Tipperith, intellectual. There's different paths, and each one has ways of which you do the metaphor in changing the movie. And that's what magic is about and why one of my goals before I turn into worm food is to try to leave magic, magic with a K, uh, kind of, how do you put it, a new form of physics and how you might use that to change your physical reality and evolve. Yes, I'm very interested in that. Well, that's what most of the intellectuals in Europe did, the Blue Lodges, with famous writers like Bulwer Lytton and William and Westcott, others from Golden Dawn, and historically going even further back, reserved for the ultra elite of Europe in different categories, trying to seek something more than just the physical. And that is really what pathworking is about, trying to find more dimensions to the experience. And if we can do that even with language, using things like sex magic or biofeedback, you know, changing autonomic functions with your mind's eye. I remember my doctor took my pulse when I came in to visit him once, and he said, oh, your blood pressure is at 151 over 82. I'm, I'm going to have to put you on meds. And I looked at him and I said, <laughs> I'm not going to take any drugs. He said, well, I might have to fire you. And I said, cuff me. And that's what biofeedback did is I put my heart rate back down to 129. And that took care of that nonsense. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what you're trying to do is take control. And that's why John Curtis Gowan and others have written on the prototaxic, parataxic, and syntactic modes of consciousness. Prototaxic is like a shaman that can place his consciousness in an eagle and see what the eagle sees. He doesn't have any memory of how he does that. Parataxic modes are when you use dreams and archetypes, a kind of nebulous 22 stories in the big city kind of thing. And syntactic modes are you doing it where there's full conscious participation in changing things, like tantric yoga and biofeedback. For me, I now know that my physics isn't going to get me there. But if I learn how to use it as a tool, now there's the possibility me becoming something more than what I am right now. That's what I'm seeking. Interesting. 
And when we spoke last week, you had told me that just you're having a lot of trouble. You came out of retirement. You started writing books and doing interviews again. You've been under attack from an AI or an alien. I think getting hammered in every orifice is how you expressed it. But your life is uh, <laughs> being upended and coming out to promote these well, books. I, is... wanna, I need a little more cheese with my wine. But, uh, <laughs> you know, please. But something unusually unusual is happening around me and i cannot believe it's coincidence right and i can't put my finger on it and i can't i absolutely can't tell you why well i would think it has something to do with you talking about your life experiences when a lot of people want this stuff suppressed why i don't know they don't like people to have the keys to the castle and know about their own mind or consciousness or the world we live in well stay tuned on that you know <laughs> <laughs> Knowledge is power, you know, and you're giving people the knowledge. Well, power corrupts, too. So that isn't necessarily a bad or good thing. It just is. I don't know. But I'm moving forward. I'm trying not to dwell on my life as it's changing. IQ is a measure of adaptability, and I'm being challenged. <laughs> <laughs> To my limits, even with my high IQ, I, it's, a, it's a challenge to adapt. Going from a four-bedroom home with gun turrets and a quarter of a mile drive down here to being on Rogue River with a bunch of bikers and low life. You know, it's good for me to go through this. I'm healthy. I don't want the depression to affect my health. No. So I'm trying to stay focused. Yes, I support that. And it was really a pleasure talking to you today. I wish you the best and optimal happiness and health. And I'm happy to do it again when the new stuff comes out. But until then, take care unless there's any links you want to leave people with. No, that's good. Thank you. Just buy my books. Anything you buy from me came from me. Any other source, it probably didn't. If it's not autographed, it didn't come from me and I didn't publish it. Right on. Well, I'm honored that mine is autographed, and I hope the audience will jump in and get some of your work as well. But until we talk again, sir, take care. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right, guys. How about it? The truly legendary Doc Ram sharing the secrets in the final chapters of a very eventful and fascinating life. I mean, even just two of those stories would make a person one of the most interesting people I know, but with him, the hits just keep coming. If you go back to the last interview we did, I remember really loving it, and when he had someone reach out to do a second, I had to jump on it. So much for staying focused on the new book, though. I realized pretty quickly that I was only going to be throwing out a sentence here and there and not reading long quotes or setting up long, detailed questions. But he's been talking about this stuff longer than I've been alive, so <laughs> it's all good. He doesn't need me. I know it's kind of weird as a listener to hear me break in to talk about background noise, especially when we did a pretty decent job removing it in post-production, because usually I cut that out when I stop an interview to try and improve the background noise situation when we have one. But he just went on giving all kinds of context for his situation, and it made it hard to find a place to cut. He did seem very distressed, though, not only in the interview, but more so in our pre-interview phone call that we had. Seems like he was forced to make a move he didn't really want to make, talked about his systems being hacked. 
Plus, he's getting up there in years. I'm just happy I got to talk to him again because he has had some wild experiences and pretty much any weird stuff topic you can throw at him, he can start breaking down what he knows and it's hard to find an esoteric topic that he can't comment on. But the big thing here for me was wormholes found in DNA and that kind of stuff that Ben Joseph Stewart brought up in our interview, structured water, cavitation, quantum aspects of biology, saying that our universe is geometric in nature, that sacred geometry and certain types of patterns can set resonance in a way so that one subsystem dialogues with the next system up as a model for multiple dimensions and cross-dimensional communication, like between the physical and non-physical, I thought that made a lot of sense. That rang true. This idea that neurotransmitters are resonant cavity oscillators dialoguing with subtle bodies outside the physical body, again, bringing it back to resonance, frequency, vibration, structured water. I think those are the subjects where his research really, really shines. But also modern mind control techniques, putting new types of mind-affecting or gut biome slash mind-affecting parasites and bacteria in GMO foods. Why wouldn't they be experimenting with that? I think I said it in the interview, but it makes fluoride in the water look like kindergarten stuff. I also dug the part about the Omega Principle, this revelation that the central secret of Freemasonry and these initiatory orders is just harnessing the power of the moment of orgasm for magical and manifestational means. It's something I've read before, but it's never really been put in such plain terms, and I have an upcoming interview that I just recorded last night that is entirely focused on sex magic, very thorny and dicey. There will be complaints, <laughs> but it confirms this very point. And I would say in advance that you can be curious about something, you can pick someone's brain about their experiences with a taboo subject that you're not going to engage in just because you're curious. Getting someone's perspective, talking about something a bit taboo, it's not an endorsement. It's just a conversation. <laughs> You won't hear it for a while, but it is on the docket. And speaking of, in higher side news, I'm just a few days away from the big road trip with the fam, so I will be gone for the month of April, but shows will still be coming out. I've got five recorded. I'm just going to have to do my wrap-ups on the road from various hotel rooms. But keep an eye on the events calendar, or my Twitter or Telegram, and I might be able to throw in a meetup or two here and there. There won't be a lot of notice, unfortunately. We've already got so many friends and family commitments, and some cities we're only going to be there for one night, but I am going to try to do something. Speaking of the calendar, though, let's look at some events. I mentioned a few of these before, but they are still coming up, so we'll throw them out there while we can. April 1st, Denver gets higher at the Blue Moon Brewery. April 3rd, there's a THC slash propaganda report crossover. I like it. Waltham, Massachusetts, Monica Perez puts on a great show with the Propaganda Report. She has had me as a guest before. I would assume that maybe she's going to be at this event, but I'm not quite positive, but very cool. Tell your favorite podcasters, the more the merrier. We're all into the same stuff. Let's just meet each other. 
April 6th, the Seattle THC Inquisition at Chuck's. April 9th, the Inland Empire Observers of the Inverted Smoky Canyon Barbecue event in Riverside, California. April 11th, the Hopkins Wild Boar Pig Chimp Hybrid Meetup in Hopkins, Minnesota. And April 13th, the San Diego Rabbit Hole Meetup at the Rabbit Hole. I see how it is now. People wait for my first trip in two years to put a couple California events on the calendar. But my loss is your gain, people. Meet some new friends that are on your page and feel less alone in this cold, disconnected, polarized world. And anyone can add events. Just hop on in and do the deed. And if you're going to attend one of these events, please hop on the site and RSVP just so the host gets a better idea how many people might show up. It's just good manners. But as always, if you found this interview or any of my interviews compelling, we have a second hour for the supporters and a free seven-day trial for anyone who wants to just try it out. The website's completely mobile-friendly. It's never looked better with the category display that we got going on. The new secondary member menu helps you navigate the site. And of course, the RSS feed for Plus allows you to use most likely the podcasting app you're already using. But in today's show, we talked about a different way to think about karma's mechanics, Richard Allen Miller's studies in dolphin language, his herbalist knowledge, aboga, entheogenic spiritual communication, Doc Ram's views into a future lifetime of his, his experiences with Native American and Amazonian shamans, orgone, weather, and UFOs, remote viewing, project looking glass, and seeing future outcomes, how he imagines the world will be changing, why Seattle and San Diego will be gone in our lifetimes. Well, enjoy those meetups while you can. There's something to talk about. Drinking your urine to survive and or thrive. <laughs> Tips for restoring the water in your coffee and drinking better water in general. So come on in. The water is fine. And a huge thanks to those who do keep the faith and have kept their memberships going even when a show or two here and there doesn't really stick the landing. The level of support is humbling and I appreciate you guys so much. It's the strong support that allows me to talk to so many different varied guests about so many different varied subjects and we can go into taboo things and we can go pretty extreme. And we can hear a range of opinions about various things at a time when people are not necessarily open to a range of opinions. So it can be difficult when we are conditioned to only want to hear exactly what we already believe and just have the same old checkboxes checked off as we go. You kind of have to resist that tendency to be a THC listener. And it just means the world to me because there's so many different things working against us. I'm doing what I can, and THC is the only thing I got going, so I don't take the job lightly. But you never know how an interview is going to go until you record it. Still, I try to give you my best episode after episode, and we will ride this THC train right on through these troubled times to the promised land, if you stick with me. But that's the show. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Dr. Richard Allen Miller for sharing his insights and stories. His books are out there for those who want to dig deeper. I'm out of here. I've done my part. Your move, modern mind control controllers, cosmobiology concealers, and dastardly disempowers. Your fucking move.
flagged, beaten and gagged in my hands, bound. Now I'm screwed, I'm so screwed, but I still wonder if I could stall, get past these guys, those documents would expose the lies cause i know they've got a thousand files if i could just break through tonight bioweapon disease so many coups blue beam two and more conspiracies But now these guys are wiping clean my precious memory Now I'm screwed I'm so screwed But I still wonder If I could stall Get past these guys Those documents Would expose the Cause I know they've got a thousand files If I could just break through tonight And I, I just wanted to know wanted to see I I don't wanna let this go I I don't get through the gate downtown walking fast security passed and I'm homebound yeah well that was the plan but I got flagged beaten and gagged and my hands I'm so screwed, but I still wonder if I could stall, get past these guys. Those documents would expose the lies, cause I know they've got a thousand files if I could just break through, if I could just And that is another show complete. Remember, as much as you enjoyed this, which is just the free first hour, I hope you'll become a Plus member to hear the full two-hour interviews. You also can engage with other Plus members in the comments and the forums. And you'll find your answer to one of the most common questions I get, which is where can I find those cover songs that you use at the end of the show? Well, they are free downloads for Plus members too. And without Plus members, I can't hire the occasional musician to bring these odd cover song ideas to fruition. 
Plus members are how I'm able to do what I do without ads and without the big machine being on my back. We can fit so much more into a two-hour interview, and I do my best to make it worth your time and money. The conversation only gets deeper, weirder, and more controversial in that private hour. How could it not the way things are going? But the best way to sign up is at thehiresidechats.com, where new first-time subscribers always get a free seven-day trial because I'm just that confident. There's no PayPal on the website, but if you need to use PayPal, then sign up through Patreon and you get all the same episodes. Our website is a credit or debit system, but you can also scope out the other options like a few various cryptos, cash or check, mail to the P.O. box, and I'll even barter with most people if you have your own business and produce something nice that my wife or kid or taste buds might like. But the architects of consensus reality have made it clear that these themes and topics aren't really welcome on the main stage. And so this is how we secure a little counterculture corner for ourselves, and I hope you'll join Plus because that is the only way it works. Besides, you can cancel anytime right on your profile page. The most common concern I hear is people just being unsure if THC Plus will work with their podcast app, and the answer is probably yes. But if not, we have several high-level app recommendations for whatever phone you use, and the website is made for mobile, too. We're trained to tip a waitress for bringing us a sandwich, but that tip doesn't give you access to a second sandwich. Really, I'm not asking for any more than that, and I think I offer a better service. Come get your second serving of tasty conspiracy goodness in exchange for that small token of your appreciation. Beyond that, let it also be known that we have grown and survived as long as we have by word of mouth. I don't care so much about social media likes or follows, but tell the right people about THC. And not just listeners, but the high-level figures who are better suited to sit down with me than most other hosts. And if you can help me with any of these things, I can work to bring you better shows, which is just a win-win for both of us. Informative, entertaining, and action-packed. It also never hurts to thank a guest you liked if you have the time either. We want them to know people are listening, so they're willing to come back down the road too. Thank you for spending some time with me and cheers to a better tomorrow.